Well, it's lovely to be back preaching in person, to have that connection uh, as, as we examine God's Word together. Well, today in our God is series, we're going to be looking at God is jealous. Now, we normally think of jealousy as something that's, that's really bad. Jealousy is certainly not something that springs to mind when you start to think about the attributes of God. God is jealous. It, it just sounds so utterly wrong. It seems almost like an offense to suggest such a thing. So how can God, who is holy, who is perfect, ever be jealous? Well, let's start with the familiar, jealousy in people. Indeed, for men and women, jealousy can be something that causes a great deal of harm, unless it's very carefully harnessed. I certainly experienced some bullying at school, and I'm quite sure that would have been linked to jealousy over something. And there's examples of the destructive impact of jealousy all through the Bible. As soon as there were people and there was sin, there was jealousy. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. Cain was the firstborn. He had all the advantages that being the firstborn would have brought to him. Yet Abel the more marginalized second one, he had something that Cain also wanted for himself, God's favor. And that made Cain angry. So out of jealousy, he killed his brother. In Genesis chapter 30, Rachel is jealous of her sister Leah because they were battling for the affections of their husband, Jacob. In Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers resented their father, Jacob, because of his favoritism towards Joseph. So they sold him. They faked his death to their father. In the first book of Samuel, the jealousy of King Saul towards David dominated his life and his reign, and it drove him to try and kill David. And then as we move forward into the New Testament, it was jealousy that drove the Jewish authorities to hand Jesus over to Pilate with demands that he was crucified. And the same for the apostles in the New Testament time. Jealousy of all the interest that they were getting from people with the message of Jesus. And such jealousy can be found within the early church as well. When Paul wrote to the young churches, to those in Rome, to the church in Corinth, he listed jealousy as one of those sins that was destroying them and destroying their fellowship. In Galatians chapter 5, in verses 19 to 21, he describes the fruit of the sinful nature. And jealousy is a key component of such ungodly living. 
He writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, etc., etc., etc. Paul robustly concludes in verse 21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it has continued throughout the Bible and all through human history, the sin of destructive jealousy. So how can God, who is holy, who is perfect, who is sinless, ever be jealous? Yet many times through Scripture, God reiterates that he is a jealous God. The jealousy of God must be of a different kind from our own destructive jealousy. So to understand this, we'll start in Exodus chapter 20 that uh, was read earlier. It's the first two verses of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. In other words, any created things. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here, God gives the people the command to put him first and to not make any idols. And then the reason he gives is that he is, by nature, a jealous God. This is the first explicit reference to the jealousy of God in the Bible. Then moving on to Exodus chapter 32, when Moses was away up the mountain and the people were in their wilderness journey, they became impatient. They said, come, let us make gods who will go before us. <laughs> we don't know where this chap Moses has got to and where's his God gone to. Let's just make our own gods then. The people indulged in sinful idolatry. They all took off their gold earrings and they cast a gold statue of a calf and they bowed down to it and they worshipped it. God was angry and so was Moses. Moses threw down and smashed the original stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments had been engraved. God's people had broken the covenant, the agreement that had been made with God in Exodus 20, that they would worship only him. And then two chapters on in Exodus 34, God graciously agrees to reestablish the broken covenant. He rewrites the commandments on a second replacement set of tablets. As in the original covenant, God repeats his command against idolatry. 
He forbids them from following the ways of the nations around about them. They are not to worship any other gods. God tolerates no rivals. Exodus 34, verses 13 and 14 says, Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, do not worship any other god. Why? For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. This verse repeats again that God is jealous, but this time they even add that his very name is jealous. When the Bible speaks of God's name, it's usually revealing something about him, about his very core nature, his essence. Then fast forward 40 years to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read of a new generation of God's people. They've been through many trials and failures during the 40 years in the wilderness. Finally, they were preparing to enter the promised land. Moses, before he dies, he urges them not to forget the covenant the Lord has made with them. He says when they arrive in the promised land, they are not to engage in idolatry. Or this will result in a response of jealousy, jealous anger by God. He says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people all around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Serious stuff. And then finally, the people have crossed the River Jordan, they've entered and they've settled in the Promised Land. In Joshua, chapter 24. And now, at the end of Joshua's life, he too reminds the people the same truths. Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped and serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been so good to you. Joshua is telling them, God is holy, God is good, and God is jealous. There's clearly something so utterly different about God's holy jealousy compared with our oh-so-often-destructive sinful jealousy. In the human context, destructive jealousy comes as a combination of, of anger, of fear, and of greed. It's rooted in comparing ourselves with other people. Perhaps a clearer word for this destructive jealousy is the word envy. We all compare ourselves and our circumstances to other people around us. We can't help it. 
I suggest social media has taken such envy that can come from this to another level in recent years, especially for many young people, comparing their clothes, their hair, their figure, the possessions they've got, their appearance with someone else, and it's always on the phone immediately with them. Such human jealousy, jealous envy, could perhaps be described as follows. Resenting someone for having something you do not have that you want. Resenting someone for having something that you do not have that you want. And maybe you could also add to it and wanting them no longer to have it as well. This is actually the fruit of the 10th commandment, what that forbids, covetousness. We could shape the 10th commandment to say, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's car, you shall not covet your neighbor's personality, you shall not covet your neighbor's abilities. Yes, even you shall not covet your neighbor's church ministry. Note, though, we don't become jealous of people for everything they have. It's only certain things that that matter to us that we become jealous of them over. Well, here's an example. In the case of myself, I would not become jealous of a professional sportsman, say for their football skills, because I've never been all that good at football. And I certainly don't aspire to become a professional footballer. But I could envy another popular preacher that gets lots of speaking engagements because preaching is something that I do aspire to do well. Or I might secretly envy someone else in church who seems to make relationships easily, who always has just the right words to say to people, and yet somehow does it without talking too much, because I wish that was me. (laughs) In contrast, the jealousy of God is the complete opposite of this jealousy that we experience. To say that God was envious would just be ridiculous. It would imply that God was lacking something that he wanted or needed. But God lacks nothing. God is complete. So no, while the jealousy of men and women is us wanting to get something we do not have and resenting someone else who does have it, the jealousy of God can be described as God acting to keep what he already does have and he is not prepared to lose. To keep what he already has, and he is not prepared to lose. The jealousy of God is so different. The word in the Old Testament that we use to translate jealous is a word that is only used to describe God. The word is closely associated with another Bible word, which means zeal. 
It indicates that God is passionate, that God is fervent. In a sense, God is jealous means God is zealous. And did you notice something about all those Old Testament passages that we read in which God was declared as jealous? They all took place within the context of idolatry by his people. While idolatry may still be seen in the world today in the worship of physical statues, it's something that's far more than that, far more far-reaching, far more deep-rooted, and it's very much in all of our lives. You see, God created us as worshipping beings. It's very much in our essence, you could say in our DNA, to worship someone or something. The question is, who or what will you worship? In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul asserts that people inherently do know that God exists, whatever they may say, but they choose to suppress the truth and not to worship him. But then as humans, just by their nature, they have to find something to worship. So they exchange the worship of the glorious creator for the worship of something else that is merely created. May I ask, even if it's only to some extent, is that you? On reflection, are you perhaps even at risk a little bit of holding on to something else other than God? Just that bit too close to your heart. It could be possessions, your house, your car, some of your other stuff. Have they become idols? Or perhaps it's people, your children, your grandchildren, some of your friendships. Or maybe it's a hobby or, or your abilities. Maybe it's fitness, going to the gym, or career, making that be successful. Have any of those become idols, even a certain amount, alongside God? Yes, maybe even success in Christian ministry. That can become your idol. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, the first two commandments make it abundantly clear. God tolerates no rivals whatsoever. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idols. Does that mean God's some egomaniac? Does he need our attention? Of course not. First of all, the Lord is the only true and living God. He just is. So the Lord wanting us to worship him alone, to keep him at the center of our lives, well, that's simply God wanting our lives to reflect the truth, rather than us living our lives out as a lie. The Lord alone is worthy of that worship. He wants us to understand, 
him, to recognize him, and to worship him for exactly who he is. And he has the right to be jealous, to be zealous for that. It was this same jealous anger that Jesus expressed so powerfully when he cleared the money changers out of the temple, from the temple court. Zeal, i.e. God's jealousy, the same word, zeal for my father's house has consumed me, said the gospel writer John, quoting from one of the Psalms about that incident involving Jesus. And second, look again at the language of the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. In establishing the covenant, that's God's agreement with his people. God is not just creating some cold rule book that we have to slavishly follow. God is here using the warm language of love and care for us. You see, the covenant is more like a marriage. He promises that he will be faithful to his people. And God expects his people to be faithful to him in return. The Ten Commandments could be read as being like our marriage vows to God. It's a relationship of mutual possession. We are his and he is ours. In verse 1, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 5, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In the Old Testament, God calls Israel his wife. The book of Hosea the prophet Hosea, that's a picture of God's unfaith, of Israel's unfaithfulness to her divine husband. And then in the New Testament, the Lord expands the whole picture through Jesus globally from the nation of Israel to the church. And he calls the church the bride of Christ. It's all marriage analogy. And this is how the jealous God is looking at us now, today. He expects to be our priority. He expects to receive our fidelity. And he seeks our intimacy. Now, for those of us who are married, we expect those same three things of our spouse. Priority, fidelity, and intimacy. A husband or wife feels righteous jealousy if their spouse betrays their love by being unfaithful or by abandoning them. So a relationship that falls short in these three things with God similarly incites God to angry love because of betrayal. In the book of Revelation, we read Christ's warnings to churches if their zeal 
their single-mindedness for him fails and fades. In Revelation 3, we read about the church in Laodicea. This church is materially wealthy and proud, but it's spiritually poor and nauseatingly lukewarm. Christ wants them either to be hot, filled with zeal for God, or to be cold, outside. But they were neither, and they were in danger of being spat out. Is that you? Still following Christ, but after 12 months of lockdown and online services and so on, worshipping just a little bit some of those worldly idols alongside the true and living God. There's a danger that we'll be spat out if we do that. And then in Revelation chapter 2, there's another church, the church in Ephesus. They'd started out so well, they'd endured much suffering along the way for Christ. But then they'd lost their zeal. They had forsaken Christ, who he describes as their first love. Such a tragedy of betrayal. Christ's voice to that church is gracious, but it's completely uncompromisingly firm. He says, repent. Come back to me, but come back with an undivided heart, to use the language of the psalmist. Or the jealous God will remove your lampstand from its place. So, conclusion. God's jealousy is very different from ours. God's righteous jealousy is twofold. First, God continually seeks to protect his own holy honor. All worship in the universe belongs only to God, and his jealous zeal will spring into action to preserve that. It has done all through the history of his people. So, Get rid of your idols. May the words of the brilliant old hymn by William Cooper be our prayer. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. And secondly, God was jealous over Israel who was his covenant wife. And Jesus Christ is jealous over the church, his bride. He burns with holy zeal. He wants every part of you, your body, your mind, and your spirit. He loves you. He died for you. You are no longer your own. You were bought at a price. So he says, pull down the high places of idol worship in your heart. Demolish the strongholds of false thinking that have crept into your minds. And as Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. God is jealous for you. Are you zealous for him?